The nail in the coffin! Welcome to The Nail in the Coffin. I'm Tom Valentino, and on the line, a guest I have been hoping to have on here for a long time, John Telich, Sports Director for Fox 8 here in Cleveland. John, welcome. Hey, it's good to be on with you, Tom. How are you doing today, buddy? Uh, it's uh, it's a beautiful day. I cannot complain. And uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, to make an appearance on this podcast. And not too long ago, you decided to get into the podcasting business yourself, We'll get into the ins and outs of your day job here in a minute, but first I'm curious, what made you decide to start a pod? Well, I think the biggest reason, Tom, is that I listen to uh, quite a few podcasts, and I like the openness of the concept. I like the fact that people can talk free and long, and they're not encumbered by you know um, the normal traditions of, let's say, radio or myself being on TV, I've only got a few minutes to do my thing. So it's nice to kind of stretch your wings and go at that rate. So I started a pod. It's a real easy name to remember. It's Telich Talks, T-E-L-I-C-H, Telich Talks. And it's on all the platforms. Uh, I use this Anchor.fm app to set it up, and it was exceptionally easy. If I could figure it out, then, my God, anybody in the world's got an opportunity to do it. So that's what was the impetus for me getting into it. And there's really um, very few rules that I'm going to observe. It's going to be conversations with people in the sports world, maybe a conversation with someone that's an entrepreneur that is a positive person. I want mostly positive content uh, as far as that's concerned. And also just tell stories. I, I posted one yesterday that, delved into the um, real rare feat that Carlos Baerga performed 26 years ago when he hit a home run from either side of the plate, each side of the plate, in one inning in a game against the Yankees, which was yesterday's date, April the 8th, uh, 1993. And when that happened, it happened to be the first time in baseball history it had ever been accomplished. Since then, two other guys have done it, so only three in history. But the episode was just kind of things that I might be interested in, and, and it delved into no-hitters, how not-so-rare no-hitters are compared to perfect games, compared to guys hitting four home runs in a game, compared to will anybody ever uh, surpass what Joe DiMaggio did with his 56-game hitting streak. And um, I had an interview, which I thought was really kind of fun. Um, our producer at Fox 8 for Sports uh, Nick Kovac, he's a Benedictine grad, and he does a fantastic job with Friday Night Touchdown. He is the heart and soul of it. He makes it go. Well, he was a 14-year-old kid going to watch the Indians back in 1993 with a bunch of his buddies, and they had no idea they're going to be witnessing history because it was an ugly game. It was like 15 to five. I think that might have been the final score. But the seventh inning got kind of there was a melee because someone threw at Albert Bell's head. And, <laughs> and, and, and it was really kind of funny because, uh, as Nick says uh, in the interview, um, he was hoping that Carlos was going to hit for the cycle because Carlos had a single and a double. Then he gets up to the plate in the seventh inning, 
and he hits a home run in his first at bat. So when he eventually got up in that second time after the fracas took place on the field and people were throwing to people's heads and what have you, he thought, uh, well, God, if he can get a triple, this would be fantastic. So we'd have our cycle. And then lo and behold, Carlos hits the ball out of the park and they didn't even know how to process it at the time. They're thinking, cool, dude just hit two home runs in a game. That's kind of neat. And then they're sitting there saying, wow, two home runs in the same inning? Wait a second. Didn't he hit the first one from that side of the plate? Oh, my God. The second one he hit from the – oh, this is really rare. And I think even the broadcasters at the time didn't even uh, grasp the concept that this historical fact, this historical feat, was uh, actually uh, taking place. And so, anyway, getting back to the podcast, that we kind of delve into – Issues like that. Uh, I did a story, I did a, a po- podcast not too long ago about how the Wilt Chamberlain 100 uh, record was an incredible feat, yet no one, we, there's no video of it. There's nothing whatsoever of uh, any uh, visual um, way that we can re- see that he actually accomplished this. Uh, there's the picture of him holding up that placard, you know, that's got the number 100. That's what you see in all the archives but there's really no video of it. There's audio of the last few buckets when he reached 100, and I just thought it was kind of a a cool juxtaposition to talk about a conventional sports record such as 100 points in an NBA game versus what was accomplished last year by a rock climber by the name of Alex Honnold. You might have heard of him as the guy who free soloed El Capitan, which is 3,000 straight, 3,000 feet, a rock face in Yosemite, he free soloed that, meaning no wires, no ropes, no uh, pitons, I think that's what they're called, that they bang into the rock to, you know, to hold on to, nothing, just him and his body. And the cool thing was, is that that was being uh, filmed for a documentary, which came out last year, late last year, early this year, and won an Academy Award. So I just thought it was kind of cool to tell the story of a conventional sports record nobody's seen and yet an unconventional feat accomplishment that's so extraordinary that the whole world if they just I'm, I assume just go to uh, any of the platforms that you can watch videos on YouTube or perhaps uh, iTunes and buy it you can see a guy setting history in the most unconventional of ways almost as it happens it's kind of kind of so that's the impetus for the, the podcast, just kind of quirky things or just straight on interviews. We had Babe Kwasniak from, um, from Bill Angela St. Joe's. You know Babe. He's a sure. phenomenal coach and a real fantastic motivator. So kind of get into the ins and outs of his philosophies. I inter- interviewed Tim Robertson, who is the owner of Speed Strength out in Chesterland. And right now he's training like Marshawn Lattimore of the New Orleans Saints. He trains Teddy Ginn. He's trained uh, Troy Smith, uh, Ben Simmons, pretty much all of the clients that LeBron James is, uh, and Rich Paul's company, Clutch, uh, have. Okay. He's, he's trained all those guys. So we sat down, and, ch- and he's actually trained me for some of my ultra marathons. So we sat down and chatted about some stuff there. So those are kinds of the things. I think it's probably going to evolve, Tom, but uh, – to give you a super long-winded answer, it it's really enjoyable, and I I wish this medium, this way of doing things, were there for me years ago. I think I really would have 
enjoyed being uh, hopping on it and kind of just being creative with it. It's uh, it's fun to do this. You know, we've been doing this show for about three and a half years now, and it's it's amazing uh, just the way the tools of this have opened up that, you know, people can jump on. Because one of the things that I noticed with your show, I mean, you're somebody who works in the media business, so, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure that already gives you a tremendous start in terms of finding your voice and being comfortable behind a microphone and whatnot. But just from a production yeah. side, listening to yours, you're 10 episodes in, and it sounds like you've been producing this thing for 20 years and you know it it, (laughs) which is awesome and it's it's a it's a credit to you and and it's it's great um but uh yeah it's it's wild to me you know I was actually talking to my wife about this the other day that there's just been such an explosion of of podcasts and, and, and just how many people are out there doing it now I'm not sure if I started this thing today if it would be the same show is what it's become because I mean there's something out there for everything and I think it's a real challenge trying to to find your voice and and really find a niche and get into things that people aren't necessarily uh covering elsewhere yeah it is kind of uh and and just coming up with guests or whether or not it makes sense to have a certain person as an interview subject or Oh, and in the case of my mind, I have my cover art is basically a shot of me starting out uh, on an ultra marathon up in the uh, Black Hills of South Dakota. I'm about to start running 100 miles, and it's me with like six other runners as we're starting out on this race. And um, it's just simple cover art, says Tellage Talks. And you see that and you go, what's this dude all about? Where, where is he going? And then my explanation is, and again, I'm learning this stuff kind of as I go, uh, just a short explanation that, yeah, I'm a media guy. I've been a longtime sportscaster, but I'm also this endurance knucklehead and crazy guy <laughs> that does all these real wild and, and tough competitions. And that will show itself, uh, you know, in episodes as we move along. But for the most part, I've, I've done 10 episodes. Um, they're all delving in some way, shape, or form with sports or people in the sports business. But um, I also think, uh, just getting back to kind of like my background, I think the fact that I've done all of these uh, real difficult uh, physical challenges, whether it's doing an Ironman competition or running 100 miles or whatever, I think it gives me a little bit of insight uh, into the mind of the athletes that I cover. Now, I can't jump like LeBron. I can't throw a knuckleball or I can't throw a curveball like Trevor Bauer or Klubes, but I have that knowledge and that the empathy of preparing for something that's difficult and committing to it and then trying to see it through. And I think that gives me a little bit uh, of a feeling for what these people are going through um, in my own small way. Does that is that something that ever comes up just in passing in conversation with some of the athletes that you cover? Because I can't imagine that in the day to day, you know, you, you mentioned like a, a Kluber or a Bauer, that those guys yeah. are talking with reporters who are capable of athletic feats that they themselves are not capable of, and they're world class athletes. Well, no, it doesn't, and I don't really um um other than maybe a occasional thing here and there on social media, I might. I remember in the earlier years, back when the Browns were reconstituted uh, or reformed in two, 1999 and 2000, 
people like Tim Couch and uh, uh, Jameer Miller, they used to, you know, jokingly call me, hey, Iron Man, you know, as a joke. And, and it was cool. It was kind of fun in that respect. But I didn't really make a big deal out of it. And, um, you know, uh, it, and so, yeah, it's not really part of the vernacular if I were in a group of sure. reporters talking to an athlete. Uh, I know that, you know, it, it's been, uh, there's been occasions where, uh, I, I can remember when Paul Kruger signed with the Browns, what's that, about eight years ago now, it seems like. And so, you know, I was there and I got a chance to chat with him for like 10 minutes. We did an interview. And then the PR people were saying, hey, you got to watch out for this guy. You know, he, he runs 100 miles or he does this or he does that. And, you know, you could see the look at Kruger going, this old guy, well, who is this dude? This guy's got to be absolutely crazy. And yet I, I also think in some way, shape, or form, at least they understand that, you know, that I'm going, that what I go through is, is not typical of most people in the media, but it doesn't, believe me, it doesn't make me a better reporter. It's just my life experience. And I kind of try to keep those things separate in one shape, one way, shape, or form. I think the first time I ran a hundred and was successful, because believe me, you bomb out sometimes when you attempt it, uh, getting pulled at 73 miles because you're over the, the, uh, the cutoff or what have you. But when I, I remember when I finished it uh, once back in, I think, 2012 or 13, um, I, I didn't know this was taking place, but the 5 o'clock producer had a couple of photos from the race, and he put them up you know, on the big screen, and they shouted me out on that. And I was like, whoa, kind of taken aback by it. It's a big deal to other people because they just can't wrap their mind around someone being dumb enough or crazy enough to do this stuff. But I appreciate the fact that, they understand that it's not a small deal, that it's, you know, it's part of who I am. It's part of me discovering my limits as a, as a person. And, um, and that's part of the fabric that makes me the person that I am. So sorry right, for being well, so long winded here. No. <laughs> so I, I'm curious when, when you're not, you know, running a hundred mile race or training, or you're not recording a podcast, you know, you are still, uh, pretty busy with Fox 8. You've been with the station, yeah. I believe. Uh, my research tells me here since 1980. You grew up on the east side. You graduated from Euclid High School. You went to Ashland. I did not realize until I started doing my homework for this that you actually uh, spent a little bit of time up in Buffalo uh, after college. Mm -hmm. You were working up there. Was it always yeah. your goal to make it back to Northeast Ohio? Yes, it was, Tom. Um, after I graduated from college, Ashland College uh, in 75, um, I worked at uh, local radio in Mansfield, Ohio, and in Ashland, and I always had the goal to be on TV doing sports. So that's because that's what I really wanted to do. I was the sportscaster at the college TV station, uh, WRDL TV2, and I did that the last two years of my college career. And, and when I got out of college in 75, I I sent resumes to all the large markets figuring, of course, you're going to want a 22-year-old kid from Ashland, Ohio, Euclid, Ohio, uh, to come and do the sports in New York City, you know, with no experience whatsoever. I mean, talk about naive. But uh, I didn't get a job for maybe seven or eight months until I finally was able to land one in uh, May or June of 1976, and that was in Rapid City, South Dakota. And then I worked there for about 10, 11 months. I was freshly married uh, in July of 76. So my wife and I were out there as newlyweds. Then we were in Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, 
for about a year and I'd say about seven months. And then in September of 1978, I got a job at the CBS TV station in Buffalo and worked in Buffalo for two years and absolutely loved it. Uh, Buffalo is a phenomenal market to cover sports in. Hockey was crazy. Uh, you know, the Sabres were, were really loved in uh, Buffalo. And then the Buffalo Bills were not good at the time. It was before, you know, it was before the resurgence of that franchise with Marv Levy and, and what and Jim Kelly. And so that was enjoyable as heck to, to live in Buffalo, not too far from Cleveland, you know, about a three-hour drive. So we were able to pop home to Cleveland every so often. And uh, my goal was always to get back, you know, get back to my hometown. Cleveland in TV parlance was a top 10 market. I think it was number nine at the time back then. And so it was a major market, and it was my hometown. These were my teams. These were the guys I watched as a kid, Jim Brown, Rocky Calavito. Uh, the Cavaliers weren't uh, in existence until I was 16 or 17. So uh, I pretty much followed, you know, the, the Indians and the Browns, and I wanted to get a job uh, back here in my hometown. So I was very, really fortunate to get a job at Channel 8. And to give you an idea, Tom, how small our business is, when I was in Buffalo, there was a news director at a competing station who liked my work, and he, he appreciated my aggressiveness and, you know, my reporting skills and what have you. He left and became a news director out in San Francisco. And so towards the end of my two-year contract in Buffalo, as our business is, a new news director came in and he was going to make the changes that he wanted to make. So he informed me like two months before that, you know, we'll honor your contract for the next two months. But beyond that, you know, you're going to have to find yourself another job. So, and I appreciated that. And it certainly is not a rare thing to happen in, in our business, but getting back to the guy in San Francisco, I, uh, started to, you know, send out my flyers. I had contacted the TV stations in Cleveland several times during the two years that I was over in Buffalo. I was hounding the news directors and calling them and showing up, you know, at their places, hoping to get three minutes with them. And, and um, Virgil Dominic was the news director at Channel 8 back then. And I got a call uh, almost two years, you know, to the end of my contract in Buffalo and I got a call from uh, one of his, his uh, uh, lieutenants, if you will, Tony Ballou, who was the assistant news director. And Tony called me, and, and Tony knew I was a Euclid kid. He knew I was from Northeast Ohio. And he said, how would you like to come home, you know, to do the sports on Channel 8? And I, was, I remember just taking the call in my house over in Buffalo. I was so excited. You know, I was literally jumping up and down. I was so excited after the phone call with him. And I said, um, I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, prior to getting that phone call from Tony, I had gotten a call from this news director who had moved out to San Francisco saying, I really like your work. I'd like you to come out and consider, you know, doing uh, sports out here in San Francisco with me. He says, I have you and one other guy from another, from a larger market than yours, than Buffalo. I have you two guys. You were the two guys I'm considering to uh, take this job. And I'll be honest with you. He said, this guy from the major market, this larger market has more experience than you. And he's got a leg up on you, but I'm flying him out and I'm going to have an interview with him. And he said, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. If he doesn't pan out, 
I'm calling you and, and I, I want you to work here. And he said, but if he does pan out, just know that I appreciate your work and I'll be one of your, you know, I'll be a, a guy that will push you to other people in the business. So I thought, wow, I'm set. So I don't even think about that phone call to the, from the guy from uh, San Francisco. And then I get the call from Tony Ballou saying, come back home to Cleveland and work at Channel 8. And as I was wrapping up the phone call, I just casually said to Tony, hey, Tony, I know who's on your station and you want me to come and be the weekend sportscaster at Channel 8. Can I ask you what happened to Fred McLeod? <laughs> Fred McLeod was the we Fred McLeod was the weekend sportscaster at uh, at Channel Eight then, and people know him as the voice of the Cavs right now. You know, on sure. uh, Fox Sports Ohio, and Tony said, and uh, and Tony said, well, he just got a job out in San Francisco. So Fred <laughs> was the guy. Fred McLeod was the guy who got the job in San Francisco instead of me, which opened the way for me to take his job at Channel 8, and Fred and I still laugh about that to this day, because Fred says, hey, you did a pretty pretty good job of keeping the seat warm. 39 years later, you're still keeping the seat warm. So it was cool. There was kind of a weird juxtaposition of lives that turned out to giving me the opportunity to be here at Channel 8. So I've really been happy being here at, at Fox 8. They've been great to me. That's wonderful. And you know, it's funny because before you gave it away there at the end that it was Fred McLeod. I was thinking when you were saying that you almost ended up in the Bay Area, my first thought was, you know, you could have been covering those Cavs-Warriors finals from a completely different <laughs> perspective, and little yeah, did I right. know how close I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're pretty pretty close. And and the funny thing about Fred McLeod and, and, and myself was, you know, it was a much different business back then. You know, there was no internet, there were no – Snapchats and, and Instagrams and Twitters and all that sort of stuff, whatever you got video-wise, it was on tape and it had to be flown from point A to point B. So I would call Fred occasionally and saying, you know, the Browns just signed this guy and this guy played his college ball uh, out in the Bay Area. Is there a way you could get an interview with him? Because it's going to be good for you because he's a Bay Area guy who's, you know, who just um, – was drafted by, you know, an NFL team or what have you. If you could get any sound with him and send it to me, you know, I would appreciate that. And so he would he'd deliver, and then there would be times where he'd call me and with the same kind of, you know, a request only going the other way to San Francisco. And so I would send stuff to Fred. And, you know, we had a good relationship in that regard. And then obviously I have a good one to this day because we're, you know, we're both veterans of working at uh, – 5800 South Marginal Road, or I should say Dick Goddard Way. Um, and, you know, we're both uh, veterans of the same company. So, yeah, it's kind of weird how those things work out. Some guy gets a job, it opens up the opportunity for your dream job. And, and I've been living the dream for 39 years here. Pretty good. All right. So, wh what does the dream look like? like what does a typical day on the job look like for you now? What are, what are you doing when you, you know, show up for work and, uh, you know, take us through that, that process from, you know, getting things ready, going on the air and everything else that sure. goes along with it. Well, we do so much news, uh, at Fox eight, we do 14 and a half hours now of news. So that means we have a 4 PM show, a 5 PM show, a six o'clock show, a seven o'clock show, 10 PM, then the 10 p.m. is rerun at 1 a.m. Then there's 4 a.m. all the way up through 10 a.m. news. Then let's not forget about the noon to 1 o'clock noon noon 
sportscast. So I'm a guy who started at Channel 8 when we just did the 6 and the 11, and they were both 30-minute uh, newscasts. And so you still did a ton of sports content in those short blocks, um, but you had a little bit more time in between the shows so that you could go out and cover stuff and have enough time to get back. Like Lenny Barker throws a perfect game. I'm able to get to the stadium, be there for the lion's share of the game, be there at the end, interview Lenny afterwards, do uh, get the interviews with the cast, the catcher and some of the other players, get that all put together and still get back to the new, the station by 11 o'clock to be, you know, the lead story in the news that night. And nowadays, with you're doing so many shows, you're a little bit more anchored to the station. Because I'm, I'm, I put together the show. I, you know, I do the writing. I do pretty much all of the behind-the-scenes work, except for the actual editing of video, which is done by our editors. But that's per my instruction. So a typical typical day would be, you know, you get up in the morning, you kind of check the pulse of what's going on. Um, you might have to go to a news conference in the morning. You might not. Uh, it just depends. Browns, you're in Berea a couple of times a week. Um, with the Indians, that's mostly an afternoon thing, as it were. You might have a high school uh, story that you're working on, so you might have an interview set up with somebody at noon, and you will go to that. So, But on a typical day, um, I've got feelers out. I'm tweeting a few things here and there during the morning and the early, you know, um, early hours of the day. And then I'm at work at about 2.30. And I'm digging into, you know, what I'm going to have in the 4 o'clock show and what is going to be the emphasis in the 5 o'clock. And then how about the whole sports cast, which is about three and a half minutes long in the 6, what's going to go in there? And you're constantly in communication with the producers of the different shows who might say, all right, I'm not trying to give you a good example of like a day that was was busy. What's What's been a big news story that's happened recently where I was pretty much on all all the shows. Um, well, I think Bauer, you know, throwing his near near no hitter on uh, uh, Thursday would would encompass you doing a lot of stuff in the early shows about that. Um, you know, uh, uh, it, it was, it, for for most most of the time though, it's just you've got to hit in just about every show. So the good thing is is that. Um, research showed that in our four o'clock audience, they really want sports. So we do it. And in the five o'clock, yes, they want some sports, but it might not be every day. And then the six o'clock sports is a constant that's been there for years and years. So each and every day, getting up through the seven seven thirty show, you're doing a bunch of different hits. You're doing a lot of writing and rewriting. You're ordering graphics. Like yesterday, I um, I had a graphic made of just the stats for um, Clevenger and Trev, uh, Trevor Bauer. Um, you're doing uh, graphics that might, you know, be a quote from, I thought the, uh, what Kyle Korver did in the Players' Tribune when he talked about racism in America from his perspective. I thought that was very fascinating. So I would ordered a graphic that had a quote or two from Korver's article and wove that uh, into the show. So it's there are always different things that are going on. The thing I regret now is that I have to be kind of at the mothership more than I used to have to be at the mothership, if that makes sense. Um, 
we had producers back in those days so I could get away and I could go do a lot more stories. Back when we had myself, Vince uh, Cellini, we had Casey Coleman, who was the main sports guy back in the in the 80s and early 90s, and Danny Coglin. We had a great sports team, but that meant that my job was, I was, since I was the sports director, I kind of set the tone for what we would cover, but then I was out covering all that stuff. And that was, you know, I'd worked a day schedule and I was at every news conference or at the ballpark getting, you know, getting to know the players better uh, in the locker room. And so I could build up those confidences with the Sandy Alomars or the Omars of the world or Jim Tomey's. And I, I missed that. So having to be in the studio a lot, that, you know, that's not the fun aspect of it. So that's also another reason why I wanted to get into the podcasting so I could do some of those stories that might be too big for TV, but would, you know, satisfy my itch to get out and do interviews with people. Um, you know, I'm working on a couple that I can't mention now, but might be really interesting podcast interviews that will still be able to glean uh, a little nibble or two off of them that we can use in the news. So always looking for different ways, but and every day changes. Nightside, it kind of just uh, changes over. You finish your seven, uh, seven o'clock hit, you got a good opportunity to run out and get some, you know, subway or whatever it might be. And then you're back in the station, you know, checking out what game is going on. You're, you're charting the Cavs game or you're charting the Indians game. Um, you're checking out the, you know, the, the, the highlights from other games around the country. You're seeing what news is breaking. Like last night, here's a good example of just how it works. I ran out to subway. I'm checking my Twitter when I'm at Subway while the guy's making my salad. And um, I noticed the quick little tweet from, I think, Kevin Kleps of uh, Cranes Cleveland had it first, um, the story about the the queue changing its name. Okay. Sure. You know, so I'm immediately texting source or two to confirm that so that when I get back to the station, literally before – our executive producer has an opportunity to open his mouth and say, Hey, Jake, you know, I'll say, uh, I'm, I just heard back from the source and they confirm, you know, what was reported by Kevin. And then, so then our web people can say, all right, okay, what can we write now? We'll give them, I'll kind of semi dictate to them, uh, some of the things I learned and then they'll put together a short little story that they'll post. And then they'll say, Hey, why don't you do a quick 30 second to 10, one minute, um, Facebook uh, post for us on our web web page on our web uh, site. So I'll do that, and then when I'm done with that, I go back to my desk and and uh, you know write a story about that change of the arena and continue writing other things, whether it's you know, Indians related or or high school or what have you. That, and that's why I love. Uh, you know, because I'm at the station so much and don't get out as much as I used to, that's why I love the aspect of in the fall, every Friday night, I'm out at two or three high school games. And that kind of satisfies my Joneses, if you will, for getting out and covering stuff. That's the fun part. That's a Friday night touchdown, the high school football highlight show. Um, as I mentioned yes. to you uh, when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, I'm a huge fan of the, the Friday night touchdown and watch it every week. Uh, I hope you and Thanks, I might Tom. be able to work on something related to that uh, down the road because uh, we could do uh, a whole separate uh, deep dive 
on that. But uh, it's, a, it's a phenomenal broadcast every Friday. It fascinates me to no end how you guys uh, put that together. Um, you know, let me ask you this. When I was in college, you know, I was taking journalism classes and we had local sportscasters coming in and they were telling us at that time about the challenges of going up against Sports Center to deliver yeah. highlights. Now, though, you know, there's so much more out there. You've got social media. You've got all these web-based shows. I mean, you just ran through yep. your whole process on what happened last night. I mean, you're on Facebook. You're on, you know, you're tweeting. You're, you're texting with people. There's just so many other platforms now. You've still yep. got to cover the, the big stories in town. How do you right. stand out in a landscape that's that crowded? It's pretty hard. Uh, I, I think, first and foremost, the credibility factor. Um, be a solid reporter, solid anchor person, get it right. You don't have to be first to get it, but darn it, get it right. And then build that reputation in that regard. When I was younger, I went the other way. You know, when I was younger, I thought, got to be flashy, got to do things to make people uh, know who you are. Uh, I recall my second job in um, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. We had a consultant, and, you know, a lot of people would say consultants are the bane of the existence of the TV industry, or some would say consultants are a needed, um, you know, accessory to doing your job well and making your news operation good. I think you could look at it both ways. But back then, we were um, we were consulted by this firm called Magid, and they ironically were born in a suburb of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Marion, Iowa. And so we were a client, one of the first clients back, this is in the 70s, late 70s. We were one of the first clients of Magid. And so they had a consultant who would come in and look at the operation and look for ways to stand out and what have you. And this consultant came to, uh, you know, one of his people, uh, talent trainers, came uh, and coached me a bit on, you know, on-air presentation, those types of things, which was great, needed. Uh, it helped me a lot. And then they also gave me ideas on features to do that might help me, as you just mentioned, stand out, stick out, uh, get noticed more. And they came up with a feature called Tellich Tries It. And you can imagine that's exactly what it was once a week. I would go out and do, oh, my God, I did everything. You know, whether it was play, uh, you know, wrestle one of the University of Iowa wrestlers, uh, get my, God, I got my butt handed to me there whether it was jumping out of an airplane, whether it was doing paragliding, uh, whether it was, you know, uh, some kind of a weightlifting chat, whatever it was. And I did those and they were popular and what have you. But I also realized I don't think I had that credibility um, as in the, foref in the forefront of my mind back then. And by the time I got to Buffalo, I, I kind of learned that a little bit more. So um, I, used to compete against a, a, a sportscaster by the name of Gary Papa and his brother is uh, Greg Papa who's a you know very good has been a very good broadcaster for many years on many different sports but Gary Papa was the most competitive guy he was the weekend sports guy at the NBC station I was the weekend sports guy at the CBS station uh, WIVB and we competed tons of times and I, I really respected him because he was so aggressive, and, but he was so good at what he did. And everything about him was about credibility, getting the story first. He was super competitive in that way, but getting it right. 
and I saw that this, you know, this is how my focus has to be. It's not about being the funniest guy or having the biggest shtick and all that sort of stuff. That stuff goes away. So by the time I got to Cleveland, I was really focused on, it's my hometown. I have a lot of uh, institutional knowledge of these teams anyway, because I grew up with it. And so let's really work on being a solid reporter, a factual one, uh, and build that credibility in your hometown. And so that's what I tell everybody. First and foremost, the credibility is the really your only calling card, and then you tack on the other stuff as as the years go on. And it it's helped. I don't think I could have lasted uh, in this market as long as I have if I didn't have that credibility. Uh, and I still consider that to be kind of the shield that I carry each and every day. Because I think without the credibility, with all these other distractions or ways to get your information, um, you know, I'd, be, I'd get left in the dust. And, and Channel 8 does very, very, very well in the ratings. Uh, we have a veteran staff. We have a great mix of the old timers, if you will, and, and young talent. And it's all about getting the product right. We're never perfect, but it's all about getting the product right and being credible and um, having that, quote, brand. I know you hear that word brand a lot, but that's very important. Have the brand that makes your commodity or, you know, what you guys do as an operation, one that's respected that people will, will turn to. And that's what we've tried to do. If someone's trying to get into this business now and, you know, you're talking about some of the advice that you got uh, when you're on mm-hmm. that that other side of the desk early in your career, um, obviously credibility uh, is yeah. you know a major theme that, uh, you know, you've hammered home here. Is there anything else that you would tell someone that's uh, trying to find their voice and, and their niche as uh, they well, uh, try to move into this space? Well, Tom, there's a lot of different opportunities or ways for them at least to get their voice out there. So I always tell tell a young person, you just got out of college, you know, you're expecting the world to beat a path to your door, but it's not that way. Although the world can come to your smartphone, the world, um, it, you know, it, it it's right there. You've I, I said in even one of my most recent podcasts, you know, you're the town crier and the village square is right there in that little device you hold in your hand. So use it as a tool to strengthen the credibility or the um, the techniques that you're going to need uh, in your business as you move forward. So I tell young people getting out of college, be active on social media in a responsible way. Um, start your own blog or vlog or start your own podcast, any form where your ideas, who you are, um, can get out there and, and make uh, a little bit of headway so that you're not just that other face in in the crowd. And then push your stuff as best as possible. I've had uh, a good example would be um, we had one intern, Ashley Baystock. Um, she was a, a great, real good basketball player at John Carroll University. She was one of our interns. And I always, I always say this was a gal that got it because you know, she was always energetic, always came in and said, what can I do? Oh, Dude, you want me to try this? Thinking ahead, so I respected that of what how she did her craft, and now she's a reporter for a, a newspaper in Toledo, and she's making her way in the business. And I think she created a lot of those breaks. She had an internship uh, in Washington D.C. Um, 
working more on the political side than on the uh, than on the sports side. Um, and uh, uh, Scott Sable's younger brother John, uh, another case in point. He was an intern with us, and then John graduated from Kent State, and John was trying for a year to get a job. No luck, nothing. And I said, you've got to you got to write your own blog. You've got to just make short videos. Doesn't matter the technique of which you make the videos, just let people see that John Sable's got ideas and John Sable has passion and eventually something's going to work in your favor. And so he did that and eventually got to the point he's been down, he's been down in Tampa now for quite a few years as a news reporter and sports reporter and doing well. And so I just say, just you show that you have that passion and genuinely go after what it is that you want and uh you know people will come to realize that you do have the talent but you've got to you just can't assume people are going to you know beat a path to your door they're just not going to john this has been awesome i really appreciate it you've uh, covered a lot sure. of great ground here this is really great stuff sure. um my pleasure I, man. I i know you got to get running so we're gonna uh, we're gonna wrap this up uh, folks you can uh, make sure you catch uh john telich on fox 8 here in cleveland uh, as he outlined for us he's on quite a bit of the day they're uh churning out a lot of coverage there and it's uh, it's always great um he's on twitter at john telich eight and uh, make sure you check out the telich talks podcast i was actually listening to your most recent one about uh, trevor bauer and uh and some of these other baseball stories uh, this morning yeah. I was listening to it. It was, it was good stuff uh, just to kind of bring us Thank full you. circle here. Yeah, it's uh, I, I've, I've been en- enjoying it quite a bit. Uh, as good. for us, you could subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for you Android users. We're also on Stitcher and TuneIn, and you can stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Big thanks to John Tellish for joining the show today. I'm Tom Valentino. This has been The Nail in the Coffin, and we'll talk to you again soon. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.